special episode of Funny Looks, the podcast where I speak to performers about the clothes they wear. This started off as a podcast where I like mainly talk to like comedians about what clothes made them feel funny, what clothes made them feel like they got the best audience reactions, but I'm branching out. I'm branching out to people who are multi-talented performers, entertainers, presenters, and I'm super excited to have a very special guest today. It's Zara Janjua. Hello, how are you doing? Oh my God, I love your energy. That was a great intro. (laughs) I'm doing great, how are you? I'm good. I, you know, I just realised I missed out some of your roles. Your presenter, journalist, comedian, writer, producer, actor, style icon. Style icon. I love. I mean, the last one's the most important. Let's face it, right? Um. I mean, thank you. I'm clearly just someone that finds it really hard to choose one job in life, and I've, I've, you know, I'm com- <laughs> coming to terms with that now. I think a little bit more as I get older. Um, I enjoy the variety of what I do. So thanks for acknowledging that. And what I just find so exciting is to look at you and see somebody that has all these different roles, um, some public facing, some stuff that you do behind the scenes, behind the camera. Um, What is it like having all these different roles? And what is it like choosing what to wear for each one uh i have a lot of clothes (laughs) and you know um yeah it's interesting you bring that up because i do actually have a lot of clothes and and it's something that everyone who meets me does comment on uh i'd rather not but i i feel like it's just a very natural thing for me to i'm like a magpie i wonder whether this is part being like you know part south asian um, that I just I like stuff and shiny stuff but I see things and I'm like oh I have to have it but I always think you know because I do so many different jobs I do have to kind of think you know what's appropriate in different situations and so yeah because of that I have like I started trying to get into the habit of doing like my winter wardrobe and a summer wardrobe and I'm not quite on the spring and autumn yet which I do need to get but honestly under my bed it's filled with clothes I've got like hundreds of dresses and I really love it because I love the variety is again and what I wear and the fact that you can just you feel so different don't you depending on what you put on yeah, definitely. And you know, it's it's funny, I did a little Google image search on your name just to see what kind of clothes you're wearing. Uh-huh. Different dress in every picture, I swear. I absolutely loved it. I was like, different dress in all these like press pictures and stuff. I was like, that is awesome. That is like... I mean, thanks. So cool. Listen, I, I take the opportunity when I know I'm getting press pictures. I'm like, hey, that's a new headshot. I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't want any of them to be the same. So, of course, yeah, I do. Um, but also, you know, being when I first started out doing stuff on, on TV, it was a far more serious role. So uh, a lot of my clothes, especially the dresses and things that were, I was buying back then were sort of bright, bright colored office style smart dresses, you know, ones that a newsreader would wear because well that's my job that's what I was doing so um I didn't ever want to look too dowdy and I didn't ever want to look too formal um but it was still it was a serious job and so you know if I could buy you know a beautifully cut well-designed uh you know green bright green dress um as long as I wasn't on a green screen that day fine because I made that mistake <laughs> once when I wore that dress and just disappeared I was just a floating head <laughs> yeah I mean having to wear lots of suit jackets back then or you know, blouses and and shirts and things, or those lovely sort of smart tailored dresses. I wore a lot of those with like really chunky jewellery. I remember this like really flamboyant because it was kind of like, that's the only real way that you can make your mark or to be you know unique uh, in any way when you're presenting because you you know they say you're usually from the waist up um so it was you know kind of having really funky big 
chunky jewellery um, and there was a lot of that and I still have all that costume jewellery that I really don't think I've worn much since but I keep convincing myself that I might be wearing it again at some point so I'm a hoarder I'm a hoarder me too like I'm just sitting in my room and around me there's just like a clothes rail like with like just mad stuff on it um but yeah I wanted to ask you actually because you started off in kind of like print journalism and then you went into like the sort of broadcasting presenting roles and you say you went for that kind of like kind of like smart businessy look but what was it like going from the kind of private sphere well, it's not private but you know the kind of like going from oh god how do I even word this just going from writing to presenting what was that transition like yeah sort of behind the camera to in front it was um well my shoes changed for one when you're a print <laughs> journalist and you're out running about all day the last thing you want are like high heels or uncomfortable shoes and so you know I was I always remember having quite comfortable shoes or a pair of like trainers I always had a big bag because I always had to have lots of stuff in it you know you would maybe be out covering a story at court or whatever and you would be out all day and so I always big bags are my thing I don't know how people survive on small bags I am not that kind of girl I don't know how it happens I don't know how it works um if anyone wants to teach me you know I, I'm open to it but I just always have so much stuff with me shoes were a big one I always had a pair of shoes in my bag um but I think the, the attitude sort of changed slightly. I didn't actually ever want to, I wasn't intending to be in front of the camera. I just um, was really, uh, really bad at keeping jobs and kept getting sacked. <laughs> so, and um, I moved up to Aberdeen and it was like, I'd, I had initially, I'd studied a master's degree in journalism and um, I was working for the Scottish Human Rights Commission and the Innocence Project and doing a lot of human rights based journalism. So you know, back then I would always present myself really well because my father was Pakistan. he's Pakistani. And I think, you know, being in the military as well, both him and my mum were in the military. So it was always like polished. We always had shiny shoes in our house and we always were told to present ourselves well. And I understand and I'm very grateful for, for that now because I can see how, you know, society does judge us, people individually do judge us based on the image that we initially present them. And it's really hard to recover from that. So um, I think by always being very conscious about what I was wearing and making sure I was dressed well, and you know, th that was always shirts and dresses and skirts. And I mean, it was a, a variety. I certainly wasn't thinking that much about what I was wearing at the time, but I love bright colors. And so even then I was loved a pattern and loved, you know, having a bit of personality with clothing. But when I moved to I moved to Aberdeen because I got a job as a technical journalist in the oil and gas industry, which is the exact opposite of human rights based journalism. And <laughs> yeah. Amelia, I lasted <laughs> honestly. I think I, I lasted I think about three weeks before I got sacked from that job. And I'd moved my ex boyfriend up at the time, and he was like, he was in the oil and gas industry, so he was like, we could live in Rio, and I was like, we're moving to Aberdeen. I mean, he was such a good guy. I really liked him. I still like him a lot. He's a great guy. Um, he moved with me. God bless him. And um, yeah, I just, I, I didn't really know what to do. And it was quite fortunate at the time because STV had been looking for community journalists to join and community editors to work online. They had these online local sites at the time. And uh, I heard through the grapevine, friend of a friend, listen, there's a job in Aberdeen. Why don't you apply? Um, I got that job and, and started there working sort of on a computer really every day. Online journalists, you know, many of them, we didn't we don't get out much. So it was an office based job and it was in front of the computer and, you know, drafting press releases. And it was the first time, however, that I was in a newsroom. It was a small newsroom. And I was just exposed to this real energy and it looked so fun. There were people running about with cameras and shouting headlines and, you know, deadlines. And it was like, run, 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 breaking news, stories everywhere. And it just was like, wow, this is really, really cool. And it's not something I had studied. It's not something I had ever been exposed to. So, um, yeah, I just got really interested in it and was staying late to work the auto queue because they always needed someone to work the auto queue in the gallery and no one was ever available. So I was like, oh, I'll stay after work and I'll do the auto queue and started just picking up bits of work. And eventually someone, actually it's Andrea Brimer, who's the, the presenter in Aberdeen. She came to me one day and just said, listen, Zara, I can see all this work you're doing. And, you know, I don't know why, but, you know, no one's going to really help you. Unfortunately, there's nothing set up here to assist you and to move you forward or change your career direction. But I can help you by teaching you how to present. 
So we started, <gasps> I know, it was amazing. And yeah, we just, she taught me how to newsread. I remember the first time I sat with like a news script. And honestly, if you've never done newsreading before, like I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And I was just kind of reading it like a wee story. Like you might read like your nephew, like once upon a time, there was a man who was arrested. He was arrested. Yes. And uh, <laughs> he was sent to court for two years. Interesting. And I remember reading it and just, she was looking at me and laughing and she was, she was just so good though at, at teaching me how to be a news reader, how to, um, you know, how, how to also read from autocue, which was fantastic. And after about two months, I had a great showreel. And she helped me apply for a few jobs. And I actually got one of the jobs internally, which was based then in Edinburgh. So sorry to the boyfriend moving again. Still not Rio, still not Rio, but we're moving again to Edinburgh, a little bit, a little bit fancy, a little bit more exotic. And uh, yeah, we moved to Edinburgh and I took a role as a production journalist for, for STV at the time, which was like reading late night bulletins, but also putting together scripts and learning a lot more about sort of technical language and, and um, the technical job of an of a on-screen journalist, which was something again that I hadn't done. So it was really exciting. Yeah, and I mean, it's funny that you were in like an office at first, you know, and cause I just, you're such a bubbly charismatic person. Like I can't imagine you not being a presenter at this point do you know what I mean like I did people ever say that to you before you had that kind of um support from oh my god I've forgotten her name now that sucks so bad um and the, the presenter that helped me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah Andrea Breiber no it's fine she's amazing and honestly I love giving her a shout out anytime any opportunity I get I'm like Andrea Breiber Andrea Breiber she did this it's your fault Andrea it's your fault I'm doing this now um I I I think that people did, um, I don't know, I've, I, you, you struggle in life, don't you, to necessarily, you don't always know first off what you want to do. And our, our whole lives, I think, are spent trying to carve out who we are and find, you know, the, the real meaning of our own lives. And you go through a process of elimination, I think, <laughs> in life with everything. Uh, you know, I'm still on that process of elimination <laughs> with boyfriends. So, you know... <laughs> I haven't quite figured that one out. Keep on trying on different sizes and different fits and styles and be like, yeah, it doesn't really work. That one doesn't really fit. I'm not, still not really sure yet. And that's what it was like with jobs. Um, and I, I I, think probably there were a few remarks. I think I just had, um, I loved a chat. Amelia, I love a chat. <laughs> it's a skill, I, actually. It's a skill. <laughs> Loving a chat is a skill. You. Seriously. I'm glad you think so. I think my boss potentially, when I was working online, uh, wanted me to shut the hell up quite a lot but um, and crack on with it but you know I think um, I, I mean it was it was all part of it was a step wasn't it because had I not done that I wouldn't have led to, to everything else so it had its merits but it was short-lived yeah and um when you started to go out in front of the camera did you feel like you changed as a person in front of the cameras do you feel like you put on any sort of persona or like you know I, I'm try not to say the word vibe anymore because I keep saying it so do you put I on I did see that you posted <laughs> I saw you posting about the fact that you were listening back to one of these and trying to like you were doing bingo or something weren't you the number of times that you were saying saying vibe honestly it was every sec every second word was vibe I was trying to edit it out and I was like I can't make this make sense I'm gonna have to keep this in um but yeah did you have like a did you develop any kind of persona when you started to do presenting did I develop a persona can can I just quickly suggest that for everyone takes a shot for every time you say vibe let's just get that out there now (laughs) so everyone has to drink a shot for you um new game new game guys uh did I change I think I tried to take myself um, a lot more seriously because I, by personality, I don't think how I am particularly serious, but I enjoy, um, you know, serious stuff sometimes. And I think (laughs) you're actually acting. It seems like you're actually acting. Like it says on your like bio, you know, actor, presenter. But when you're presenting, maybe you were acting. Yeah, I mean, you're not far (laughs) off. I think there's an element of performing that comes in when you're when you're presenting. And I really struggled for a long time to get my head around how to appear because 
I, you know, even the way that you sit and when you were, when you started saying this, I was like sitting up straight a little bit, getting myself <laughs> ready because you do. Um, some of that is down to like how you breathe even when you're sitting and it sounds bonkers to talk about, but like <laughs> it does, doesn't it? But when you're, if you're, if you're news reading and you're, you're, you're slouching, it doesn't, you don't have the same energy and you can't do, I used to panic, Amelia, when I first started doing this, I used to panic so much and I would get like sweaty palms and dry mouth, dry mouth was the worst. And I started having to do these breathing exercises. Honestly, you could see me doing it as well. When I watched some of the clips back, I'm like, you can see I'm doing it. Like trying to breathe into my stomach and, and, and count to four and stuff. It was just so, yeah. <laughs> that was probably, I, I definitely did feel a bit of pressure. And I don't think I was, you know, at the start anyway, it was great having, I didn't have any formal training. I don't think I was a particularly great news presenter. I messed up a lot. In fact, one day I was, I messed up so badly. I could, I completely forgot where I was on the auto queue and I hadn't actually been reading what I was or thinking about what I was saying. And I just picked some random word to start at again. Destined for bigger things. Well, you know? other things, like... other things. <laughs> I just find it destined for stardom, you know. <laughs> That's yeah. Let's stick with that. Let's stick with that. I actually thought it was more the 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 um the pressure of not there was nowhere to go right. So when when you now in life, if something goes wrong, whether I'm presenting something as a live event or um an entertainment show or or anything at all, there's so many opportunities for you to fix that and save that, and you can talk your way through it. As a news presenter, there is a nowhere to go because you can't just suddenly you know you know rem you know have a comment about the, the guy that's mooning you in the background and have a laugh about it and joke about it which would seem would seem the normal thing to do if someone you know moonies you and <laughs> oh you made me laugh just I can't, I can't I'm gonna have to edit out me doing manic laughing because it's just gonna like interrupt you but honestly did someone actually moonie you when you oh doing... we've had so many things and people trying to butt in and things or even just if you do um, it's hard to explain with the, the setup of news, but you know, you're, you, you have like the script that you have is assigned to like, you have the timings in for the script and you have timings in for clips and then you know the duration of your news program and everything is very specifically timed. If let's say you're, you're live on air and it's only like, maybe you're only doing a five minute bulletin and whilst you're in, like something changes in the story. Maybe someone is arrested and you can no longer report on that story. They just take it out. And and your producer is trying, hopefully in the gallery, to kind of put something else in or like there, there will be stories floating. But the timings not, might not be right. And so you might be getting to the end of a programme and saying, well, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you know, for me and from everyone here on the news team, and you hear 20 seconds and you're like, oh, I've still got 20 seconds left. How do I... So from all of us here on the news team, it's a very good night. Do catch up with all the stories and more on the online and on Facebook and Tinder. And, you know, you just like, there's nowhere to go. So you just have to, it's much harder, I think, to save it. I've got so much respect for great news presenters. I was just thinking that, like, so doing like news reading and presenting was like a very high pressure situation. Now we actually met doing comedy. Um, and I was just wondering, how did you find the comparison between the pressures of like live presenting versus the pressures of live comedy gigs with an audience? Boom. I mean, <laughs> woo! it's different, right? It's it's yeah. uh, definitely a different environment, different situation. So just to kind of give it some context, I got into doing stand up because I was working as a reporter and an assistant producer on a late night chat show that was like very fun, entertainment focused. Lots of comedians would come on. I at the time was doing Strand for the program that was like about beauty and I was trying things like I think we had planned leech therapy, beer baths, you know, um, vampire facials. And I was also doing a colonic and the colonic did not go very well. And um, I was telling this story. <laughs> I was telling the story of why the colonic did not go well to 
um, a guest uh, because that's how appropriate I am as a producer. And I was giving them lots and lots of detail. And it was Wiz Jan Tarasorn, who's an excellent Scottish Thai comedian. And uh, he had a fringe show that year and he was offering 10 minute slots to other comedians uh, every night at his gig. So he asked uh, if I wanted to come on and tell that story at, at one of the nights. <laughs> And I thought, yeah, go on. It's it's like a massive challenge. It's also, you know, I'm a big fan of personal development. And I think that I love when stuff scares the crap out of me because it just means that I have to do it. It's, you know, I always challenge myself to think, why why should something scare you? There's nothing really to be afraid of in life, is there? So if something's scaring you, you have to do it because you're going to learn something about yourself. And that was genuinely the kind of mindset I had at the time was, you know, I wanted to run a mile and I thought you need to run towards it. So... I said yes, and when my boss found out, he was like, we'll send cameras and we'll do it live. And I was like, ah, okay, that's not really what I've been thinking. It was more of like a personal development thing. This wasn't a let's put it on the telly kind of thing. So that's how I got into it. And, you know, as you'll know from the, the scene in Scotland, when you when you are new and trying to come in, especially as a woman, I found it very open and very welcoming and lots of people that want you to do well. I think that there's a lot of people out there, especially that run nights and that did run nights that want you to do well. They want you to be on, they want to see more diversity. And so that's how it kind of opened up. But I, I definitely noticed, so first of all, when you are doing a live broadcast, okay, you do not get to see the disappointment on people's faces. <laughs> when you're <Yeah. laughs> when you're bombing at comedy you absolutely get to see that and so I was aware of that it was going to be different I had been presenting a lot of live events um, which is just something that happens when you're working in tv and sort of in front of the camera lots of organizations or charities and things do get in touch when they're looking for people to host events you know fundraisers dinners and they they ask if you can do it so you know I had I had been um in front of a live audience before I definitely think Amelia it, it did help the fact that I had all this experience I didn't feel the nerves in the same way and when I did experience them I think I was able to cope with them and you know I've never really said this before but I I the, the thing I struggled with the most was actually being backstage because wow. it would really um stress me out and I felt like I couldn't relate to everyone else as much and I had a real lack of understanding for what everyone was going through because I was just I wanted to have a good chit chat backstage I was like oh hey how's it going and you know that is not always the um the atmosphere backstage I was going to use the v word but I'm not going to use the v word I'm not going to say <laughs> I'm not going to say vibe backstage <laughs> vibes baby mm. yeah I guess it depends like it just totally depends on the gig. It depends on the venue, like who else on the lineup. And um, I can say that sometimes backstage I want a chat, but if see if I'm like really nervous, I actually can't speak to people. It's so weird. Like I just become a different person. Do you know what I mean? I'm literally just like looking at my phone, looking at my notes. Probably if I've like had a bad gig, the sort of like night before or whatever do you know what I mean mm. so that means I'll be in a very like reflective place I'll be thinking I'm gonna think my way to this being a better gig you know <laughs> like one of those nights so yeah I can probably relate to both sides of what you're talking about like the like chatting backstage and feeling like oh shit maybe I just Maybe I, I just be felt like a fish out of water I was like mm -hmm. I don't feel like you know um I, and I think because of the way that I I feel like maybe I'm quite a personal personable person and that's my personality and you know I I like to make connections with people and it felt like a really nice opportunity to have a chat backstage and so I guess my initial impression was oh it's not very friendly and I think that's just how it felt like, oh, and then I started having all this doubt, like, you know, maybe they don't want me to be here because, you know, um, I, you know, it's, it's classic. You have imposter syndrome. And I had it so much when I first started out in comedy because of the way I got into it. You know, the first gig that I ever went to was we put it out on TV. In fact, the second gig as well, when they found out that when STV found out that I had uh, done a gig they have, uh, have a charity the STV Appeal and they had this show called Ha Ha Hamilton that they put on every year and they got in touch and said oh we see that you've done some stand-up do you want to come along and do this other gig that we've got just to raise some money Amelia I said yes to this I didn't ask how many people were going to be there who else was on the list I didn't ask anything which is just classic me yeah sure I'll do it and I'll turn up I turned up to do it didn't realize it was like a 2,000 capacity theater that had sold out this was my second gig 
And it was like the Berniston boys, Des Clark, Des McLean, the dolls, like all the biggest names <laughs> in comedy Whoa. in Scotland and me. And I was like, oh God, I feel sick. Mm-hmm. I was just like, what the hell, Zara? Why do you never ask questions? You never, you always do, you're always doing this to yourself. You know, I really had a word for myself backstage, but you know, I also then just wanted to kind of chat to everyone because that's how I deal with, with my nerves. Um, I'm, I'm totally losing track of what I was talking about. <laughs> we're just talking about like the differences between presenting and doing live comedy um I was wondering do you remember like what you wore for those first couple of gigs and was it quite different from like what you would wear when you were doing like um slightly more like formal jobs yeah I don't know I think I think something I was really aware of when I first started out was just having not not wearing anything too sexy on stage not that I was walking about in like lingerie or anything you know but I just I was aware of how things were going to look um not being too nothing too low cut nothing I just I didn't want to yeah I didn't want to like I just didn't want to appear too um girly or too sexual sexualized uh, in any way and that was because I thought I don't want to put myself at a disadvantage from the the off, you know. I, I already thought I'm going to be facing potentially a lot of criticism being on stage. And at that point, my mindset was very different. I didn't think I was particularly welcomed into the industry. And, you know, and that was from, I feel like everything's coming full circle, from potentially experiences backstage. But also, and that's what I was on before, the, tra- the line of thought was imposter syndrome. You know, I, I was most of the time when I was doing comedy I was there at the start because of the gig that I'd done that had been on TV and I was quite sure that after that having these sort of negative experiences or experiences where I I didn't feel particularly welcome because I didn't understand the the atmosphere backstage I started to wonder do people really want me here do they think I'm only here and I only have this gig because you know the whoever's organized it thinks they might get on tv or they might get some exposure and I really did have that for such a long time just thinking maybe you're not that great or maybe it's not that good and maybe you're not that funny and maybe it is just you know people do want want on tv um so it, it did take me a long time to get over that and I did feel that you know I just wanted to kind of blend in on stage I didn't feel like I necessarily wanted to stand out like the idea of walking out on a, in a chicken costume or something would just be like <laughs> never gonna happen you know um so yeah I was aware of that and I just tried to be really quite sort of plain and uh not not make too much noise yeah and that sounds really hard to deal with like all these worries and you know trying to kind of like work out what people are all about and I think that that does happen in comedy uh, and I'm just sorry that you had to deal with that. It no, I think it's so difficult. normal though. No, it's normal though. And this is the, you know, I think we do need to talk about this because, you know, um, we, we a lot of us, especially I, I feel that women have it, although I do know that so many men have experienced po- imposter syndrome too. These are thoughts that I do tend to think, you know, unless you are, have a raging ego and are a massive narcissist or a psychopath of course you're going to have self-doubt and of course you're going to have moments where you need to reflect on you know where you are with something and you know are, am, am I any good and actually I feel like the more intelligent you are the more often you ask those questions to yourself because you look for self-development and you look for self-reflection and that's all it was. It was a process of me being very new to something very different, you know, part of my career. And I experienced this in every single part of, you know, my, my career, every job I do is that really, you know, can I do this? Am I able to do this? And it's the difference between someone then that does it and someone that doesn't is that you're either going to give into that voice or you're not and, and you're going to work through it. And that's just what you do. Um, you know, I feel like it's a part of a process. And the more I've thrown myself into new jobs and new career strands, the less I hear that voice or the, the quieter it gets. And it becomes a bit easier just to think, you know what, it doesn't it doesn't matter at the end of the day, you know, if I'm crap at this or I'm not just am I having fun? Am I enjoying it? Am I learning something about myself? Am I making some sort of impact or change for the better? We'll then crack on, you know, and you do just get on with it. So I'm glad I went through it, but it, it definitely was there. And it's only in hindsight that I look back and, on that time and, and realise that's what was happening. 
Yeah. Um, and thanks for sharing your experience of that because I know sometimes it can be hard to talk about. Um, I don't know, to be honest about that kind of thing, I think can be hard. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned that, you know, you, you didn't want to dress sexy to give yourself like the best chance. Like, what? Like, where do you think that comes from? Because I, I think a lot of female comics I've spoken to have experienced this, myself included, actually. Like, I feel like when I dress like sexy, the gigs don't go as well. And I was speaking to Kat Hepburn, who's a poet, and she said she doesn't really experience that as much in the poetry scene, but she was actually talking about, um, she was saying there is a movement now she's noticed of female comics being like I'm gonna dress sexy deal with it do you think if you were to go back to gigging now after kind of you've had a few different like jobs and life experiences since those gigs that we've kind of were talking about there when you first like went into doing stand-up do you think you would just kind of just go for it and dress sexy now no I wouldn't um but I wouldn't for the right reasons Mm -hmm. you know at the time I was kind of doing it through sort of fear but also Mm -hmm. you know I think now I I understand that you know it's it's kind of I I, that my image whatever that is Mm -hmm. you know I I often think about it it's been difficult for me to kind of process through life in some ways because coming from I was brought up as a Muslim I was brought up in um you know quite a traditional South Asian home and you know I know my mum's Scottish but you know we were brought up in a very strict uh you know household and were sent to Arabic school and we had you know it was always we were it was always enforced on us to specifically particularly me to dress modestly and um I I think once that's sort of ingrained in you uh as a, as a child you then do of course struggle because listen I had my mini skirt days and I had my going out and wearing as little as possible days and I had all of that because that's kind of what you do it's life it's you know that was part of my growing up and part of my process but I think when you again start to realize who you are and what you want to be and what you want to show to the world I always want to be in control of that for myself and and I think that for me to stand on stage unless it's it's pertinent and important to the comedy um unless you know it, I, hey I might change my mind I might next week be like nah to hell with it I want to dress sexy but no right now if I could go back I would I wouldn't do it um and I would focus more on the writing which is you know something that I absolutely love now and if anything you know that time where I wondered uh, whether I could perform on stage and whether I should be performing on stage and if I was any good at performing on stage that's led to me thinking more about well actually what are you saying and what what's the writing you, you know what are you actually saying what are you writing what do you want to communicate to people and had I not had that moment I wouldn't now have a comedy writing career which has been you know one of the biggest and best things that has happened to me in recent years so everything happens for a reason right yeah and I was about to ask you about that as well like I've seen you've been in like um, BBC writers rooms and you've been commissioned to write sketches and beat star in them for BBC short stuff and it's so awesome and I saw your sketch for short stuff recently and it's funny but it also has like you know serious undertones which like that's awesome and um it's you're in a park and this creepy guy (laughs) (laughs) I'm just laughing because I know his take on it god bless him Alex Cooper was my uh fellow fellow actor in this and yeah he thought he described it as being very creepy as well (laughs) um and he comes over to you and starts asking you like really inappropriate questions about like your Scottish Pakistani heritage and then you hit back with like wise cracks and witty comments and it's such a brilliant sketch how did you how did you like write it like what was the process behind it and also like how did you decide what to wear in that sketch because you're wearing the cutest (laughs) the cutest like kind of like almost like mint green jumper with like little beads on I know that I just went from talking about a very like serious topic you know a sketch that's about racism and people having like prejudices towards other people and then now I'm going into the jumper but total yeah. change that's all right we can take it we can take it <laughs> I, like, I just did that I feel like that makes me look like bad 
But, um, no, this is a great, um, yeah, I love writing it. So interestingly, no one's actually ever asked me or no one's asked me yet about the, the process of it. So um, I was, I do stuff in the BBC writer's room. I got through to the comedy writer's room uh, a couple of years ago with a sitcom. And part of that, so the sitcom was um, circulated uh, to a few sort of producers and production companies and BBC Studios came back and said, listen, we really like it, but we're kind of looking at how we can, you know, maybe re, uh, reformat bits of it so that it could be, you know, smaller chunks. And there was, there was a bit in the, sh in the, uh, the pilot where the, the main character uh, does a sort of 10 things not to say to a Scottish Pakistani. And, you know, it, she's trying to create viral content online. And they kind of said, how can we, you know, how can we take this bit and, and make it something else? And we had a chat about it. And I went away and worked on a few ideas. And um, there were a few ways that it could have been remodeled and refashioned to, to, to suit the format. But that was what we, we ended up doing. Um, and it was just, you know, sometimes when you take something apart so much and you play around with it so much, you're kind of like... I, I just I honestly was so nervous about it coming out because I've never done you know it's quite daunting when it's you've written it and produced it and you're in it and you kind of feel like well if this bombs then it's all on me and sorry to everyone who gave up their time to be on that for nothing <laughs> <laughs> so yeah <laughs> not that I like to put pressure on myself or anything you know um it was so much fun making it though and I had a really good team involved and um I think on the day I was very aware. So we, oh my God, we were filming it in Bishop's Park, which is down in London. I don't know why um, I laughed was, at that. I don't know why I laughed at that. Oh, why am I laughing at that? Like, we filmed it in a park. I'm like, <laughs> Do you know what this is, Amelia? We're just vibing off each other. Yes, we are vibing so hard right now. We are vibing so hard. I'm allowed to say vibing. Okay, that doesn't that's count. An, that's on the allowed list. Okay, that's on the allowed <laughs> list. That's like a C category word. Okay. <laughs> so uh yeah I it was a cold day and it was I think it was I mean it was in October last year so it was it was a wee bit chilly and I think I just wanted to have a little bit of personality with it because I do like nice bright tops um uh and that's it's kind of like little sweeties you know the sweeties that you get that are like the white buttons with all the the, the colored <gasps> toppings on them jazzles jazzles everybody you. that watches my stream fucking hates jazzles honestly i don't what? know why honestly I love a they, when i'm like i love them believe me i'm obsessed they're aesthetically pleasing they're retro i actually love do you think like you chose that because jazzles are quite a sort of traditional scottish sweet i would say am i just trying to like add meaning when no, there isn't i mean i actually chose them because i hope that you would invite me on this and we could have this conversation and that you would be so enthusiastic about them i just you know i honestly i'm not joking though i was watching it and then i was like what is on the top i was like i, I can't zoom in i couldn't see it properly so now that you've told me i'm like oh that's awesome that's um yeah yeah so it's actually i do a lot i love um vintage stuff and i love um you know thrift shop type type stuff and um my flatmate at the time maddie ann holt she's also a comedian we were living together uh, in london and she was kind of looking through some stuff that her sister had bought and didn't want anymore and she picked up this jumper and she was like oh, i'm gonna i'm just gonna give it to the charity shop and i was like hold on a minute <laughs> hold on one second please let me take a look at this um and i totally fell in love with it and it's probably one of my favorite uh, little jumpers for just to crack on with some jeans or to have on with like yeah I just love it love it under like a little jacket as well um we didn't have that much of a discussion around what we were going to wear it was more about what the other character was going to wear because I kind of felt like I was playing myself in this you know so actually I could just I could just get away with wearing pretty much what I wanted to but I was thinking about the warmth so that was yeah. the only factor oh because that that's like super interesting because I was actually going to ask you whether you were playing yourself and it's like you totally were if you were like just wearing your own wardrobe like that's cool yeah it's also much easier when you're acting and you don't have any training in acting when they just go just be yourself and you're like oh well I know how to do that so like I will genuinely just be myself I don't have to you know enunciate in a, in a certain way I don't need to you know pretend that I'm someone that I'm not so it was much easier there's so many like cracking lines in it as well that sketch is like every like second line is a joke the back and forth between you and this other character um 
you know when you said it's about what the other character is wearing he's got the jumper over the shoulders man that's oh, the right fanny and the jumper <laughs> over the shoulders i love that stylistic choice you know it's that's a great choice and yeah so thanks that's... yeah we definitely had lots of chat about him because um he's he's great though alex i'm good i'm hoping to do a bit more sort of comedy stuff with him in the future um but cool. he he was also just he was great i mean that line there's a line in there where um oh god what what is it there's a line about bubly michael bubly yeah, and that was all him that was all oh, really yeah and it's just like you have good chemistry i really i felt it you know and i think like um yeah it's just a really great sketch and you said you know it's part of a wider idea for a sitcom and you're going through the process of like making like these smaller kind of chunks basically and um, but as a standalone sketch it's it's so powerful I um, uh, you can't tell I can't tell you how delighted I am that that's actually the case because as I say it was taken apart so many times and I just kind of thought I don't know if the heart is still in this but actually sketch writing that's that's the first sketch I've ever really written because that's not I, I don't come from a background of writing sketches and you know I, I I'm writing sitcoms and longer form screenplays now so that that's what I'm used to and actually what's interesting I'm, I'm in the ITV comedy 50-50 female pilot club and I have this amazing mentor called Amy Schindler she's just great and we're working on something at the moment and she what she's doing what you just said there about there being a pun every sort of line every line was a pun uh, she's kind of stripping back on that a lot now and she's like you know and I, there's this real trade-off that happens when you are making sketches where you kind of decide let's forego the character building stuff for the gag and that you have to flip on its head then when you're writing you know comedy drama and it's like you, you it needs everything has to come from the character so you're not just going for the easy puns so I'm loving it I'm really enjoying the process of, of um, you know learning more about this industry and about writing and why things work and what my style is with it that's just so interesting what you said about how there's like the the kind of like um contrast between like sketch writing and stripping away the characterization um for puns and then going into writing like longer form which is the flip of that i just i never thought of that before that's probably why i'm not a writer that's so cool that you've kind of Wow, what a journey you've been on creatively and career-wise. I just, it's so, I'm so happy to have had you on the podcast to talk about all these different roles that you've played. And like, do you feel now that what you're doing creatively is like you? Do you feel like you, you've kind of got to the place where you're like, now we're playing with fire, baby? <laughs> I've never said that before in my life. I have never said that before. What? what am i saying <laughs> now we're playing with fire baby like what am i saying anyway is that way <laughs> all these sparks that are flying clearly fire baby oh i love it do i do i yeah I, I guess i feel like um i always wanted to be a writer and from when i was really really young when i was probably around 10 11 12 i used to write lots of kids stories and short stories and I remember, yeah, even back then I thought I really want to be a writer, but then I had this very squiggly career where, you know, I went and studied business because that was creative <laughs> and, you know, and traveled the world and then got into doing journalism, which was stories and which I thought would be as close to that as a career that I would probably get. And then one day I might write a book. So, you know, I went through a huge period of change two and a half years ago and I had to move to London because I honestly had like no other options. I was made redundant at the time and a relationship had broken down and I just thought, you know what, I don't want to be, I'm almost mid thirties and I'd, I need a better social life and I need more options and it was the best move ever. That's when I started writing and the first sitcom that I wrote got me into the comedy writer's room, which is just bonkers and it's all gone really, really well. And so I know that there's something there, there's a voice there that you know people really enjoy maybe there's something in the style and I think I, I feel like I'm finally sort of doing the thing that I was always meant to do but everything is just about to take off you know it just feels like it's just about to happen and at the moment it's don't get me wrong it's been lovely winning lots of awards and you know I'm really really delighted and all that does is you know make people open your email so like if you want to, but it does if you say hey I'm a writer I've got this idea then unless you have some stuff in there you know people just don't open they just don't open your emails so 
I'm delighted that I have them because people do more often than not now open my email. So thanks for that. <laughs> Hopefully I don't mess up the email and they continue reading and, you know, they'll read the sitcom and that's why everything's happening. But nothing has actually happened. The shorts are fantastic, but I just, I am so close to something happening and I wish I could say more. But I'm so close. Oh it's happening. Oh my God, that's it's so exciting. Newsflash, cool shit happening. <laughs> it's like literally like, boom. It's like there. It's like, it's on the... <laughs> it's on the runway it's on the runway <laughs> i've never said that before so we've got we've had a fire analogy we've had a runway analogy oh my god i fire say on the really runway, cringy stuff on this podcast i don't know why i feel like i'm not i think you're your biggest critic you don't i like i think like you just commit to those <laughs> words when you say them once they're out your mouth you just commit to them adore them love them oh. cuddle them up in a little blanket Make that them is tea. Like the most cutest thing ever, <laughs> I swear. Um, so you're you're on the runway. <laughs> you're on the runway. You're on the the runway at the airport, but you're also on the fashion runway, baby. I'm trying to bring it back oh, to the topic yeah. of the podcast. I'm like struggling really badly. Um, uh, you're also yep. on the fashion runway, baby. What like? Do you feel now, because you're kind of like at this point in your career where you're like writing and stuff, do you feel like the, the stuff that you're writing, you're going to continue to play yourself, basically, in the stuff you're writing? Is it autobiographical? I mean, a lot of the stuff naturally is, because that's, mm-hmm. you write about what you know, and um, mm-hmm. I would say that, so I've, I have four um pilots at the moment that I'm working on and all the characters are loosely based on me I mean they're all half Scottish Pakistani so go figure <laughs> I mean see in three years time there might be four shows about with a Scottish Pakistani featured in them so I mean that would be amazing but that's probably not going to happen um yeah I mean I'm, I'm mindful of um diversity a little bit more in in ter- and, and avoiding those tropes and stereotypes that we see in South Asian communities and in other communities as well and how the sort of landscape has changed even in Scotland you know the communities in Scotland have changed so much and I love that you know we have so many more Polish for example in Scotland and how that has changed then what were traditionally South Asian areas are now you know a mix of of, of both and it's really enriched that and it's changed um, our own culture it's changed who we are as well and how we relate to this new mix and this new um, yeah this, this new ethnicity that, that is currently living side by side with us and especially in sort of south south of Glasgow and south side so yeah I just I, I'm very keen to write stuff but I'm also challenging myself all the time because you know I think when we when you do start to write, you're writing about things that you, you're using influences with what you've seen and you have to kind of revisit a lot of it and, and think why is it reflecting the right message and, and the right demographic and, um, you know, what, what's the point? You know, what's the point in saying anything if you're not going to say something different or unique or individual or that it's just really personal to you? And while I don't want to pretend I'm on some journey to, like, change the world because I'm not, um, I actually am writing at the moment just more of, like, a for myself, it's more like a self-pacifying type thing. It's, you know, it feels really good to be writing and it feels really good to be learning and I just have a really open mind with it all. Um but I would love to see something um, happening really soon with some of the stuff. And I just, I, you know, I'm still writing, but I'm still doing everything else. So although at the moment my fashion is very like uh, lockdown chic, um, I was actually thinking the other day about when I feel sexiest and what I feel sexiest in. And it's workout clothes. Oh my God, I love yeah, Workout clothes. Yeah, oh my yeah, God. Was... But it's like, for me, it's like the endorphins, man, the lycra. I'm out running. Ooh, I get the horn. But it's, when it's I'm running a lot, just... I get really horny. <laughs> that is all I'm going to think about now when I'm out for my daily constitutional. <laughs> I know. I honestly was feeling it, and then my friend was like, "You know, it can be because you're running." I was like, "I was like, yeah, it's the upwards hot and sweaty. It's the upward swing out of depression that brings me into horniness. Do you know what I mean?" It's like, it's like three, months. It's like three months of like not running, feeling shit, and then I start running again, and then I start to feel good and sexy, and then I just feel really horny. But it's fine. Uh, I don't know why I'm saying that. The life cycle <laughs> of Amelia. We're not supposed to be talking. To teach this in biology. We're not to be talking about my horniness. I'm trying to think what's the like, 
I'm thinking of like, what's the what's the summary? What's the conclusion here? What's how are we gonna land this this plane, baby? I think <laughs> we... we're gonna land it on a slippery slope. With... No, no, no. I think it's Horniness. like you. <laughs> fuck's sake, I fucked it. I fucked this podcast up again. I've fucked it. I've honestly, I keep. I, I love it. it. It's natural. I keep it up. No, you um... don't. I think. The only way you're fucking it up is by thinking that you <laughs> fucked it up. You haven't fucked it up. So you started off your career with like being like at a computer exclusively. And then you went out into like presenting serious stuff. And you were like, oh my God, I'm not a serious person. And then you did like stand up. And then you went into writing and writing stuff that's funny, but also personal and also like based on your life. And now you get to kind of get this, this really nice mixture of all the things that you've been doing throughout your life and you're just in this really cool awesome place ready to take off baby in an authentic and cool way does that sound good well um, (laughs) that really sounds good (laughs) babe that sounded so good (laughs) i yeah and you know what that i absolutely love that the place i am at the moment in life allows me to tap into different parts of my career and different strands uh, and with that does come a very big wardrobe and lots and lots of choices and sometimes it does feel like you know I like that I get to play around with identity a little bit because I play around with identity a lot in writing and you know it feels like that in life that you know I'm going from I do some very serious work um, still uh, in business and you know that's that's great and I love that wardrobe and I love kind of that style but it's just I constant I could shop I love shopping I love but I also really like sustainable fashion and vintage and so that's where you know I think I kind of have my own individual style but I don't see my wardrobe getting smaller anytime soon that's for sure yes come on that was the best closing comments ever you're the bloody best honestly that was how did you do that? It's all your years of journalism and writing. You just wrapped it up. Thank you so much. I was struggling <laughs> now. I was like, I don't know how to bring this home, baby. I don't know. <laughs> and you just be like, right, let's do it. Like, let's do it. Well, thank you so much for being such an incredible guest and thank you for having sharing me. Sharing your life story. It's so exciting. And um, we we can see your stuff online and we will be seeing more of your stuff online and there's watch this space i've never said watch this space before but i'm saying it watch this space zara janju is gonna be making it big here we go and amelia i love you you're just brilliant (laughs) thank you well that's the ego boost that i needed that's the only reason i do this podcast (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so thank you so much and to anyone listening thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed this and you can check out all the episodes of funny looks and check out zara's work on twitter facebook i mean is facebook dead i don't know but she also has the most incredible website i've ever seen which is like amazing so check it out there's always new stuff on there so yeah clothes clover gum stuff clothes clover i can't get enough no it's funny looks yeah it's funny looks yeah it's funny looks yeah